Now on Food FM, it's all about toast with Arthur Potts Dawson. Online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Welcome to Food FM. My name is Arthur Potts Dawson, and we are talking about toast. It's National Toast Day on the 25th of February, and I am a toast lover. I need to put butter on it, lots of jam, sometimes honey, sometimes Marmite. Uh, I've got two fabulous panelists here. We're gonna talk about toast with me. We have Aidan Monks, who is the creator of Loving the Artisan, a fabulous bakery up in the northwest of England. And we have Penn Vogler, who's written Scoff, A History of Food and Class in Britain. Um, thank you both for joining me to talk about toast. Uh, Penn, perhaps you'd like to talk us through who you are, what you do, why you've written a book, and everything else that you do. Oh, hello, Arthur. Thanks very much for having me on. Um, I'm a food historian, rather part-time. I also work for Penguin Books the rest of my time. But as a food historian, I love um, I love recreating recipes from the past and using those to kind of unpick what has been happening in people's kitchens, in their dining rooms, the relationship between people who create food, who they create it for. Um, and I've written about food in um, Jane Austen's work and her life and also food in Dickens' work and his life. Um, and I curated a little exhibition at the Dickens, the Charles Dickens Museum called Food Glorious Food. And then my latest book is Food, um, is called Scoff, A History of Food and Class in Britain, as you said. And that really just unpicks how We've been fairly obsessed in this country for the last thousand years with the idea of social class and judging each other and getting ahead and how we've used food as a kind of weapon, as it were, in that, um, in that war. Wow. Well, I hope there's not a war on toast. Aidan, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you've lovingly created an artisan sort of sourdough bakery? Is that right? Hello, Arthur. Well, um... Uh, lovingly artisan myself I am a baker passionate artisan baker and have been for more than 30 years now um, a career which which I love to this day and I, I would imagine I will live love until the day I drop um, we started uh, lovingly artisan Catherine my wife and myself about 10 years ago in a really small scale and worked with our, our sort of ethos with lovingly artisan was to create a, a small bakery that was primarily uh, a sourdough bakery so that everything was naturally leavened um, but we wanted it to be very much about the grains uh, to be about the flour and about the grain we see that there's a great importance um, in the health benefits of bread and we genuinely believe that bread should be back at the center of the table so with those sort of values we've sort of moved forward and done really well recently and last year we won best bakery in the uk and i won best baker in the uk um, and we've really sort of made a mark and we'd like to sort of carry that forward and sort of hopefully guide other people in the way, you know, as they turn to bread making and people people open little bakeries and things in the way that they think about, you know, exactly how bread sits within the food that they're producing for their customers and their consumers. Wow, Aidan, what a crown to have on your mantle. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. <laughs> Well, you know, so I think no more two perfect people to talk about toast and, and perhaps where it's come from, its history, where it's going, perhaps the future of toast, because obviously National Toast Day is on the 25th of February. We need to celebrate it. Um, toast makes me happy. I love it. I hardly even question it. I've been slicing bread and putting it in a toaster since I was five years old. Um, and so it's kind of ingrained 
culturally in the way I've grown up, and perhaps in, in, in the sort of Western psyche. Um, but Penn, could you just give us a little bit of the historical context of toast? Um, you know, what came first? You know, the, the, the slice of toast, the, the bread? You know, how have we built it into our sort of social acceptance of food? Toast comes with fire and, um, and obviously it comes with bread as well. Um, if you want to go along further back, and we can talk about this endlessly because we've got Aidan here, but, you, you know, you can figure out where bread comes in terms of that kind of long relationship between brewing and, um, and baking. Mm. But all of the, um, the way that we have toast in Britain and probably other kind of Anglo-ish countries is because fire has been a big part of the way that we cook, obviously, because we've got lots of firewood in this country. And um, if you went to China, for example, uh, or some, you know, you can look at the cuisine there with very, very chopped up small stir fried vegetables, mm. which are designed to be cooked with the minimum of heat. Whereas we assume that most people would have a big old fire, quite a lot of firewood, and it'd be easy just to kind of rustle up a few rounds of toast or toasted muffins or toasted scones or toasted tea cakes or anything. But a, a, piece of, a slice of bread needs to come from a loaf and the loaf needs to be baked in an oven. And an oven is a particular type of heat, isn't it? And then you need a quite a big, dense energy source to create the heat in an oven. Is that what you're saying? So fire yeah. in a sort of dome like cavern or cavity in the early days would have been you put, put, your, put your fire in there and then put a, a basic bread dough into it and it'll bake. And it will bake. And in our earliest days, um, I mean, in medieval times, there might have been one oven per village. I mean, going up to quite, you know, going up to kind of 19th century, most people wouldn't have had their own ovens. And so you'd have big communal bake ovens, communal bakers. You take your own bread, your, you might make your own dough to and take it to the to the baker to bake and uh bakers weren't always trusted because sometimes they might take a bit of your dough you know and they give you something back and say oh that's the right amount and how would you know um and millers as well you know weren't necessarily trusted because you take your wheat to the miller and he would he would grind it up and then give you something back and say that it was yours but how did you know and so i think toast grows up with this uh it's a it's a delightful thing to have, but you need your own fire source. You need, and so it might be that for some people they just mostly had bread, and I'd say for most of the working population of this country for hundreds of years, toast probably wasn't a huge part of their diet because they wouldn't have had, um, you know, they they could have held it the over the flames, yeah. but they wouldn't have had an mm. oven and things. Um, but. And it's also very difficult to know what working people ate, you know, because there's very little records of it. But bread, 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 that <laughs> is what everybody ate. 80% of a labourer's uh, food intake in the 18th century would have been bread, for example. And so toast is mostly talked about in, uh, you know, you, talk, you get it in Jane Austen, you get it in Dickens, because it's something that sort of middle class or slightly wealthier people it's much easier for them to make it. Yeah, and Aidan, so if we're, if we're talking about bread, which is what we need to, to, to have to make toast, looking at it historically, you make sourdough bread and yeast was not really invented sort of for, the, for the baker until 100 years ago. Uh, what was it that we used before to make loaves of bread? 
Well, I think that comes back to this link uh, with the, with brewers and that, that really um, originally one of the sources of yeast would have been from the brewer uh, mm. because the brewing process actually generates, the process actually creates yeast. Um, so, so after beer has been brewed, uh, there is more yeast remaining at the end of that process than, than there was at the start. Um, so the brewer would share that with with the baker, uh, who could use it to make his bread, and he would make he would make a, a, a sort of a, a leaven, a starter with that, with uh, flour and water and some of that brewer's yeast, and it would be called a balm, and that's where the the term balm cakes comes from. Um, oh, yeah, okay. That that actual you know creation is is from a brewer's a brewer's yeast. Um, but also, I think there's the possibility that in early days, the, the wouldn't, you know, people people did brew, and and there's the connection that uh, people realise that to make grains digestible, quite often they need to be brewed uh, to actually make them accessible to the body, so that your body could get the the minerals and the vitamins from those grains. Uh, so brewing brewing was a very important part of life, and 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 you know you couldn't drink the water or people couldn't drink water but they could rely on beer being safe to drink but one of the other things that we have found is that we actually leaven bread with um with whey uh, so i have a friend who has um, martin gott who has makes sheep's milk cheese uh, he also has a herd of goats now and uh, i remember just one day just being down at martin's and actually seeing some milk on the side and it had already turned itself into a yogurt and he was explaining to me how much lactic bacteria there was in in that in that milk and we took some whey off him some sheep's milk whey at the time and we mixed it with we mixed it with flour and water and the next day it was a fully active ferment as if it wow. was a sourdough ferment that had been going for ages and we made bread with it and the bread was amazing um unfortunately the flavor was a bit you could you could tell it had come from sheep mm. it was it was rustic um but it was the process that that i'm sure people didn't walk around with jars of sourdough starter hundreds of years ago saying this is my mother it's 100 years old or whatever yeah. you know but actually milk and everything from the milk that they produced from their animals they would have instinctively used everything so to use the whey to actually make bread was something that probably uh, probably went on and you would you know we still obviously within modern bread bread making we still have milk breads it's something that is a traditional bread and it's probably evolved from that period when whey was used as a leavening agent for, for breads. And you're talking about structure here, aren't you? You're talking about the, the lifting of the flour up to get these sort of aerated bubbles inside mm. the bread to give it the structure. And, and that, yeah. in, in some way, you're talking about making it with a whey or an animal product, gives it flavour. So you've got flavour and structure because we need the perfect loaf of bread, don't we, in order to get that perfect slice of bread. So that perfect bread and the flavorings inside it. So is it just wheat that we use? Do you put bran? Do you put barley? Do you put molasses? I mean, what goes into the perfect loaf of bread? We, we, I think that, that ultimately wholemeal, wholemeal bread and, and well-made wholemeal bread has, has an unbelievable range of flavors. Um, and it's not used as much by people because it's wholemeal is a little harder to work with because there's less protein in it. So it's a little harder to get those that that really nice elastic dough and to get those big, you know, open that big open uneven structure that you want for nice crispy toast. Um, so we we if if you're wanting something that's really open structured, very light, if you use a white flour and and you maybe put a bit of rye in that to give that a bit of sort of a, a slightly fruity edge, that's really nice. And the rye helps it keep really well. So the rye is a really good way of adding flavour into bread. 
Um, that's really lovely. We also use, and I have to say something that we do that's really lovely, is we actually take uh, brewer's barley. So we take a brewer's ingredient called crystal malt, um, and we cook that into a porridge, and then we add that into the flour, uh, the sourdough, a white sourdough, to then bring texture and flavor, oh, um, because that malt actually enhances the way that the, the protein develops. So it really opens up the structure, but it gives a really complex range of flavors from sort of chocolatey notes to sweet notes. And then when you toast that as well, then then you get, you know, everything. I think the toasting brings out all of those lovely flavors as it starts oh, to come. It sounds like we're already getting to that perfect <laughs> slice of bread. But yeah, Pen. When we look at so we get we're, we're creating the perfect loaf, and Aidan has just d described deliciously how to make that perfect. I'm loaf. so hungry. But how <laughs> historically then? So you're talking about the Dickens and the, and the Austins writing yeah. about toast. Yeah. How has it culturally then been accepted into society? And you're saying the, the working classes perhaps we don't had had an understanding of what people were eating as they were going into the workshops and maybe into the mines and to the mills. Um, but toast has made its way into, like, like you say, the sort of Anglo or Anglicised part of the world, uh, parts of the world, because um, it really is accepted and it's part of our cultural heritage, isn't it? It is, yes. And it's it's very interesting just going back to what Aidan was saying about um, how we love now sourdough because it toasts so well. And I think that's a real indication of the the sort of preeminent place that, that toast has in our lives. Whereas if you go back to the early 17th century, for example, there were recipes for, for different kinds of bread for different kinds of people. Mm. And your peasant or your workman or the, or the lower servants would be given bread for all the stuff we love now, barley, because it gives such a great taste, rye and all the rest of it, that would have been seen as kind of a lower class of bread and it would have been made in the sour trough so the sourdough method, but it would have sourness was not a desirable taste um, in those days. Mm. And I guess it's partly, you know, because people are not toasting things, they are just eating bread normally. And then the, the most desirable bread is, you know, has um, been made by putting wheat through a bolt, you know, and making it as fine and white as possible. And so I think if you come into, you have to come a little bit, you have to come a little bit sort of closer to the modern day to to get people starting to write about how toast is put into kind of social situations. Mm. And it would have been every middle class family would have had a toasting fork in, let's say, in the early 19th century. In the living room. You would, yeah, 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 or the late 18th century. You would have your tea. You're, sorry, you'd have your dinner at about yeah. three or four o'clock in the afternoon. And then you would invite some friends around, maybe, for after dinner tea. And then that's when you get your toasting fork out. And you might make some toast to have your after dinner tea, or you might sort of toast a muffin or something like that. And those tea time occasions were quite, you know, they were quite expansive. They were quite sort of desirable to have because they showed you had some kind of leisure and they showed you had some kind of you know, that you were having a sort of mid-afternoon dinner and then a sort of social life rather than eating fuel for, for food, you know, eating food for fuel. Hmm. And so, and toast is a kind of, you know, it's a part of that. And it's a, it's not exactly showing off because it's super, com you know, it's not show-off food because it's comforting food and it's always been comforting food. But it does come from that sort of um, nice, cosy, fireside friends kind of chat. 
There's, it's interesting, Ben, when you say that, that perhaps the old loaf would have been given to the servants or to the people downstairs. Mm. Um, an old loaf can sometimes be, you know, you would almost toast something to bring it back to life. You know, so you'd have this sort of fresh loaf of bread and you'd eat it on the day and then the following day it would start to stiffen up and become a bit harder. Um, would that then be sliced and toasted because it would then be more palatable? So it might be that perhaps the working classes were toasting their old loaves of bread that were given to them or, or handed yeah, down. They, yeah, they probably were. Mm. Um, they didn't. Yeah, they probably were when they could. I mean, we know that, for example, in um, in sort of medieval and early Tudor times that people would get a nice, great, big, thick slice of bread and it was called a trencher. <laughs> and it was essentially used as your plate. Um, and so, you know, uh, because it was quite brown, it was possibly quite dry. And then the gravy might soak into the trencher and you'd give the trencher to the poor at the gate, you know, this kind of gravy soaked bread. Um, but there's something to be said of toast. So, so uh, for example, in France and Spain and Italy, mm. where they would make a crostini or they would, mm. they would toast off the old bread and put it into a salad. And that would be in some way a different way of looking at toast because they're sort of broken chunks. And, but as we know in the sort of West, we say, well, a, a slice of bread put in a toaster is, is, is a piece of toast. Um, because toast is basically bread that's been browned by exposure to something hot, whether it's an argot top or a fire or, or put into a toaster or put into an oven just quickly. Um, it, it's, it sort of alters the flavour, doesn't it? It, it, it sort of adds, this, and now it becomes crispy, both sides, and it's ready for something soft to go on it. So, I mean, would they have had butter in the past and jam, or, or when, when you've made your toast, what do you start putting on it? Oh, you put everything on that we put on, except probably Marmite, you know. <laughs> you put on honey, you put on butter, um, probably mostly butter. I think our um, marmalade is obviously something from the last kind of 200 years preserves and jam you probably would have put on your you know on your toast at any time um it's it's funny there's a letter uh, jane austen's mum actually wrote to her went to go and stay with some very posh coll- uh, cousins in warwickshire at a place called stonely abbey and she wrote about her breakfast back to her daughters and said oh so breakfast was uh, i think it was seed cake pound cake hot rolls hot rolls cold rolls and dry toast for me uh-huh. <laughs> and, yeah, dry toast. Ah, so sometimes good for the tummy dry toast i think yes for a sort of slightly it's like not elderly but you know yeah. i think i think there was a sort of aesthetic about toast it had, it had a feeling that it was a, a fairly pure and clean sort of thing mm. to have com- compared to sort of slightly indigestible newly cooked hot uh, hot white bread, for example. Well, hot white bread, Aidan, quickly talking about hot white bread. So you've got this beautiful, perfect loaf, and we know that we're going to take a slice of bread out of it. But when you toast it, it breaks down the starch in the bread. And, and so there's an action. And do you know much about this reaction between you know, a, a loaf of bread being sliced and then toasted? And then that toastingness changes the starch levels. I think I think you really have to, to, to just compare it to obviously the crust, that the majority of the flavour is within the crust in the bread, that actually that the way that caramelises the starch, caramelises d- during baking, that sort of combination of the steam in the oven and, and the outside of the crust. And and it, it, it performs a function, you know, in that, that, that crust on the outside of the bread seals all of the moisture into the bread. Um, but it brings that immense range of flavour, you know, when you eat it. And, and that's why you get this thing about some people like dark breads and some people like it lightly baked. 
And then when it comes to toast, I think what you're doing is you're, you're actually reintroducing that element of flavor into the bread. And, and I think that's why people have such a preference to how they want their toast actually cooked. Some people barely want it cooking because they don't want any flavor from that. Uh, you know, they, they like to add the jam or honey or whatever. Uh, but then some people like their toast really dark because they enjoy that that sort of uh, that flavor, that that sort of caramelization, that carbonization brings into the whole process. Uh, I think you're now going into a very, very heavy discussion about the level of toastiness, oh. Aidan. <laughs> We're going to have to discuss this. I'm going to have to talk about this because you're talking about this caramelization. You're talking about this being crispy, crunchy on the outside, almost creating a crust on either side. In the middle, there's just this lovely, soft, doughy, bready, flavorful slice in between the two, two toast, toasted edges. Um, how far do you, would you go to make your toast toasty, Aidan? I would say I'm middle of the road. Okay. <laughs> I, I like it. I like it brown. I yeah. like to see color all the way there. But when I'm actually toasting, I don't maybe a little dark on the edges, just catch, but that's as far as it. Uh, I definitely don't like dark toast. And I certainly don't like warm bread. Um, and how about you? <laughs> I think I'm with Aidan. Um, my, my aunt, apparently, when she was a child, used to call bread uncooked toast <laughs> because it was, you know, it's not really worth it, is it? If it's not uh, toasted properly, it's not toast, really a yeah. thing. So it's got to be toasted so that your, uh, the butter runs through it onto the plate below. Oh, yes. oh well, I think I need a slice of toast now. We've already had breakfast. Yeah. But there's something very magical now that we really must discuss, and that is smell. Because, uh, Aidan, you must just, you're surrounded by the baking, the smell of baking bread every day. And that is something that triggers uh, the, 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 the salivation glands inside my mouth, certainly. Going into a, uh, a room that's got fresh baked bread in it or, or, you know, or a bakery. And now, toast has a very specific smell, doesn't it? You go into a kitchen where someone's toasting toast and suddenly you're like, oh, I really need a piece of toast. Now, is there something in that? And how, how uh, um, Aidan, you might have looked into this more when, from a bakery perspective. The smell is essential, isn't it? I have to tell you something really strange. <laughs> that as a baker and working in the bakery every day, you lose your awareness of the smell of bread. Mm. That actually, we can't smell it at all. It's only when I go to another bakery, and I'd say specifically a bakery that's not baking sourdough, it has a different smell. And then I can smell that uh, distinctly. Um, the smell of toast, I, I mean, I do like the smell of toast. And then obviously, you know, when there's a lot of toasting going on, um, the burnt toast as well. Um, but I, I, the, the more I think and the more we have this conversation and that you realize how, how, into how many different areas of food, toast, and it's, it's sort of the varieties of toast. And you mentioned crostinis and things before. Mm. Um, I do think that, that, that I'm just thinking about cooking crostinis and actually frying them in a pan sometimes, you know, and, and the smells that you get off that. We like to, to make them and we actually cook them sometimes if we've got some really nice bacon fat and we just fry the, the, the sourdough in bacon fat first. And that really does create some incredible smells uh, before you top it. Um, oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, that's lovely. So, so yes, I think the smell, I think the smell of bread is is amazingly evocative. Uh, the number of the, the comments we always get at the bakeries is about the smell. Yeah. I think if we weren't taking bread out of the oven and, and, and people walking in, that is the impression, that's the lasting impression uh, that people leave with is, is the aroma and the smell 
I think it's very important. And is there any sort of something that pops up, you know, in, in literature that talks about the, the, the smell of toast or, or, or bread baking? You know, is, is there something that really triggers us? Oh, I should have looked it up before. Yeah. Um, I can't think of anything particularly. A couple of things that have struck me, though, um, toast water used to be a, a thing for, uh, <laughs> for people who were feeling a bit poorly. <laughs> Yeah. And I guess the not you know I guess the aroma of the toast is supposed to come through in the water. Um, we haven't been terribly you talk about Christine's, We haven't been terribly good in this country about using up excess food. I mean mm. that's something that a lot of um, you know people like early cookbook writers like Eliza Acton have been quite critical of is how we're not good at kind of recycling waste. You know we tend to make toast and, um, and but not kind of recycle old bits of bread in. Um, oh, the in Italians the would use it in a soup or the French. They'd use it in a soup and we yeah. haven't particularly done that. We, you know, mm. we're more of a breadcrumb than a toast crumb kind mm. of cuisine, I think. Um, but smell is, and it's funny, isn't it, how few people actually write about smell evocatively. Dickens did, actually. Um, Dickens was a he had this extraordinary nose, I think, in the mm. sense that he smelt things and he could identify them. He could say, well, that's kind of, that's candle wax and tea and, uh, you know, saddle soap or something, you know, and kind of have a sense of all these kind of smells coming together. No, obviously I'm going to go run away and go and look for every single example <laughs> of the, the smell of toast wafting through literature. And do you think, Aidan, do you think that it's, um, you know, so you bake the perfect loaf of bread. In your mind, are you baking it so that someone can toast it? Because I'm wondering, what's the percentage of someone coming into one of your, you know, one of your stores or one of your shops and saying, "Well, I'll have a loaf of bread because I know I want to toast this." Is that? You know? I, that's a really high percentage of people. And some of the loaves that, that we make, we make a cheese and marmite sourdough, and people come back and tell us they always toast it, and they always come back and, and say what they've done with it or what they've put on it. Um, so, so the toasting element is actually a very big part of the growth in our bread sales currently. Oh, I think people use it a lot like that. I have to say, though, as a baker, though, what we do and what we believe in is that that for us, um, we know that we have to create a loaf of bread. So if, if you're taking some of our bigger sourdoughs, um, just plain white sourdoughs or some of the ones with ancient grains like the Emma, there, there's sort of a big traditional round miche shape. Um, and and what we aim to do is when we make that, obviously on the day when they pick it up, it's it's very thin crust on the outside, squishy to the feel, but it firms up very quickly the following day mm. to become more like a sourdough, a lot firmer. Um, you could sort of put it in your rucksack and it wouldn't get squashed type of thing, but it will stay like that for a whole week. And what we love is that people, the reason people come back for the bread is they will come and they'll buy their bread for the week. So they'll buy their loaf and they'll put that in their bread bin at home and it will be there for them to use all the time. So they might start the week by making sandwiches, but then they'll quickly move on to using it for toast every day. Mm. And they will use it all the way. And actually it's usually people run out before the end of the week and then they'll buy more the next week. But I think the important thing for me as a baker is that we make a loaf of bread that travels through that week that doesn't stays usable, so doesn't actually dry out and become uncuttable, but stays that they can still use it at the end of the week. And I think toast becomes a more important part as that week goes on. But people don't actually see it as an inferior use of the bread. I think, you know, we were saying before that people toast it to use up old bread. 
but actually it's become a preference now that people that that they're almost they're honoring the bread even more by toasting it that they're getting the best flavor out of it and all the things that we put into it they they sort of get out of it because just toast with with uh, and and also i have to say the 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 renewed liking of real butter that people people have reconnected with butter and find the simplicity of really good sourdough toast and really beautiful butter is is a beautiful combination so a lot of people toast our bread and i think it's a very important part of what what makes it work nowadays mm. I, mean, I think word... if you look at things like um the way we you know things have become quite iconic like avocado toast and cheese on toast and you know eggs on toast that um as Aidan was saying yeah. toast isn't a kind of it isn't a sort of inferior partner it's part of are not just our comforting foods, but our kind of identity foods as well. The things that we like to go, this is me, this is the kind of eater I am. I think I think as well, I think that uh, the, the avocado is not a good case in point to say that, <laughs> it, to say that it is a classless food almost because mm. everybody will eat, eat toast, everybody. There is a class distinction now in that a certain type of people will eat sourdough toast and some people will eat not sourdough toast, but it's the toast element that everybody eats toast. It has to be one of those few foods that people access every single day. The majority of people still will have bread in the morning yeah. um, and mm. have toast in the morning. And I think it does, it, is, it has a very, very important part, certainly in our food in this country. Well, toast is also is interesting that you know for nearly five hundred years it's been used in in Britain you know as a word. It came from the, the, the Latin torrere to burn, and was referenced you know five hundred years ago as as being put into a gallon of stale beer and a pint of oil, uh, and that was from you know the sort of fifteen hundreds, and you know toast you know this this is sort of lightly charred or lightly burnt or you know or a golden brown slice of bread put into a beer and used to flavor it really interesting that these these notes of um caramel smokiness almost like a honey texture would then be put into a beer but, but was that uh, as a sort of part of taking yeast out of the beer was the beer not flavored do you know much about any of this <clears throat> What happens is, um, so so when they're making beer, uh, normally they will start and and they, they will start with the yeast on the top, and the yeast will drop to the bottom uh, as as the sort of beer ferments out. Mm. And then what they will do is they will actually, and um, what has happened because we've been approached a couple of times by brewers, and they will take flour off us and add flour. So imagine the brewers actually run through one ferment, and they would add flour into the mix that would then bring the yeast back to the top and it would clear the beer as it sort of came and almost gave a second ferment to the beer and then it would remain on the top so the flour and all the yeast would all collect on the top and maybe they maybe at the time they used um old bread or toast to do the same mm. and the only other thing that i know is that we've had a couple of brewers who have actually taken old sourdough off us and used sourdough to make beer Mm. Uh, so they've used it as an element of that beer, as an element of the wheat, of the, 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 the sort of the, the, 
the general combination of hops and everything else. So instead of the grain, they've replaced some of the grain with sourdough, with old sourdough. Um, and that was specifically to bring the flavors, those crusty flavors, those toasted flavors from the surface of the bread into the beer. So that might have been inspired along the lines of what you're saying. You know, well, don't toast then of the course, you know, so then you'd say you'd toast someone's health. So you'd hold up a mug of beer and say, well, cheers, here's to your health. And, and actually that beer has got toast in it. So to actually toast someone's health was because there was bread in the beer. And historically, Penn, it's, it's so fantastic, isn't it, how words are, are absorbed into our cultures and not really fully understood. But the reason why we toast someone's health is because there was toast in our beer and we said that as we said, you know, good health to you. But not just um, not just beer as well. You would have uh, people who would make um, like wassail, yes. uh, you know, so, so which could be, yes, which yes. could be cider based. It could actually mm. be an ale based. Yes. Um, they would use toast as well to exactly to do exactly what Age is just talking about. You mm. float the toast on the top and then the, the, the yeast accumulates around the toasts. And it's rather lovely because uh, it then goes back the other way because um, you use the well, as we were, as Ada was saying right at the beginning of this discussion, you use the balm from the brew that goes back into the bread. And there's a very nice, uh, there's a nice thing about this Hertfordshire farmer who thought it was very funny that these, um, this, these traders from Manchester came down to the local market and brought their own bread with them because they, uh, bread in the north was made with what mild from a mild beer and bread in the south was made from a dark bitter and they didn't like that nasty dip bitter corky mm. uh, taste yeah. in their bread so it's it kind of you know the two things um bread toast and beer and brewing kind of have this kind of ongoing relationship with each other but there's interesting uh, the, the relationships between the different ingredients or, or, or different the, the concept of consuming toast um, because toast comes from bread, uh, and bread is made from wheat, and our obsession or almost addiction with wheat in the West is really tied into how we consume our bread. But wheat is the sort of you know is the, is the backbone of ours. We've got rice from Asia, you've got corn from South America, but then you've got wheat from this sort of from Europe, and we use that wheat to make bread and make toast. And it's probably our love of toast that drives this high level of consumption of wheat. Is that right? I, I, well, I certainly, I certainly think that toast has actually maintained a consumption of bread. I think particularly recently, um, commercial breads have, have come in from a, a really hard time from the health industry and, and food fads and food diets. And there's been over recent years, there has been a very significant decline in the consumption of white processed bread. Um, that has been countered by um, the growth in artisan and sourdough bread sales driven sort of from a trendy perspective that you know is the in thing to have but also there's a growing perspective about the health of um of sourdough and the fermentation i think it, it it's all starting to link together the, the the fermentation and and almost back to that original very original point that we made about about brewing uh, and and the brewing of the grains and the fermentation of the grains to allow people's bodies to access the nutrients that nowadays this significance of, of, of fermentation and sourdough breads and, and the growth in those sales because people are understanding that 
bread that's naturally leavened becomes a probiotic, prebiotic. You know, it, you know, it's low GI. It's very, very good for you. And and really, that that bread prior to industrialization, prior to the the, the food industry was actually incredibly healthy and incredibly important part of our diet. Um, and and just like just like beer, just like cheese, just like all of those other things that were prepared, the food industry has sort of disrupted the natural the natural process of things. So I think that that at the moment toast, I think toast has definitely maintained bread sales. So people will still eat bread and still have bread in the house to make toast with. Mm. Whereas at the moment they won't necessarily eat it with every meal so they won't think oh i'll have to have bread with every meal i think in our time that used to be the thing that that you would eat bread all the time but actually that's not the habit and lots of people choose not to eat bread at all now but toast is probably the one thing that weakens people and even those people who say they don't eat bread will st still have avocado on toast um, so they still toast toast is the last you know the last bastion that's really held on to people they can't step away from it no matter how hard they try and there's something in the time because toast, you know, it creates these this crustiness. And and I, for me, I'm a, I'm addicted to the to the to a good crusty sourdough. In 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 some way, I'm not that interested in the middle of it. I know some people go, oh, I love their spongy, soft kind of chewy bit. But I, I'll just almost say, listen, if you want to have that, I'm going to have the crust, because for me, it's the crust that has the character and it has that crunch with a little bit of soft. And it is that potentially why we're so obsessed with, with toast, is the fact that you've got crunch, you've got soft, it comes chewy, then you maybe got a little bit of sweetness or a little bit of peanut butter, or a little bit of marmite. And there's this sort of different textures as well as flavors. It's, it's probably why toast is so high up on our breakfast list. I would say also that not only do we now have fantastic sourdough bread, but we, we are also all the beneficiaries of 70 years of NHS dentistry. And, you know, and that probably makes a difference to how much chewing you can do because, uh, yes. you know, because uh, a lot of our four, four, you know, forebears would have had pretty terrible teeth um, and, Mom, you know, uh, and all the rest of it. And it, it does make a difference. To, and I think that's one of the reasons why people were a little, one, you know, were a little bit prejudiced against brown bread is it's just tougher to chew. Well, I now, well, then that would have been the good reason not having any teeth to have dipped your toast into your beer into your beer and yes. then sort of slightly gummed it <laughs> or your tea or your yeah yeah, yeah whatever yeah well now there's we have to come to the because we're talking about toast but we're sort of making the assumption that, that people are just sort of going to be eating their toast with, with butter and, and jam or butter and marmalade whatever it is but you know we're, we're not talking about that and it's important because just to eat a piece of toast by itself would be rather dull. Although I'm sure your toast is absolutely delicious, Aidan. You know, it's the bread that goes into the toast and the toast, pop, toast pops up. It's there on the plate. Okay, what now? A, a very thin slice of butter, margarine, just peanut butter? You know, what, can you, is there anything historically, Penn, that would tell us what we put on our toast? Um, I'm just going to read you this two lines from The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe from 1950. Yep. And this is when Lucy... A uh, little girl goes and has tea with Tumnus and the Fawn. Mm. It was a wonderful tea. There was a nice brown egg lightly boiled for each of them, and then sardines on toast, and then buttered toast, and then toast with honey, and then a sugar-topped cake. Mm. And I just think mm. that's such a lovely oh, yes. yeah. insight yeah. into a 1950s tea for kids, you know, uh, just 
um, or not for kids. Lots of, um, I think, not avocados, probably, you know, in, no, in, the, in, the, in the past. They but hardly I think... knew what they were. Yeah. <laughs> no, they were, they were few and far between. Yeah. Um, but honey preserves. Um, and cheese on toast has a very long uh, history, I think, very long respect- respectable history. There's a very nice recipe from... Um, um, from 1747, 57, I think, um, and it, for anchovy toast. Oh yeah. And um, oh, yeah. and he talks about you know you 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 make your you make your your toast and put your anchovies on and and cheese of course. And then he says it seems but a simple thing, but I never saw it come back from the dining room with, without a huge dent in it. Um, and this is William Verrill, who was uh, the chef and the, the patron of the White Hart Inn in Sussex in the 1740s and 1750s. Um, so I think all the things that we love now, people no, have really always loved on toast. No, I don't think it's no. changed very much. I've never come across anything that somebody's had on toast and that now we go, Ugh, no. You know. Well, the Spanish were always very good at sort of smashing, you know, tomato, which has been rubbed with garlic and a little bit of uh, fresh oregano or thyme into their toast but they're not really sort of they call it tostada which is mm. basically means to mm. toasted um and the french i think you know they they don't toast their bread as much because they tend to eat it very quickly with their with their meals um i think they may be building it into their mornings um a, a little bit more often now but you know aiden really interesting that people are actually buying your loaves of bread which you've flavored with marmite and cheese already so yeah. they're obviously cutting, toasting that, and then putting, what, more cheese and marmite on? Do you know yeah, what they well, them? some of them do. Some of them do. Yeah. Some of them do. But uh, but uh, but I think that those we, we sort of have those two. We do we do a cheese and chili and uh, and a cheese and marmite, and they are massively popular. And there's certain people who like them, but they they specifically toast them. That that's what people come to say. They toast them, and then they, then they'll that becomes part of their their brunch at home journey. So that they're just a little bit of a one-upmanship on their neighbor who's got sourdough from from the supermarket and they say well i've got my cheese and marmite sourdough from you know and and then they they come up with various concoctions with the top people's people's brunch brunch and toast combinations now have become i think as extravagant as they ever have been mm. um uh, inspired by all the the modern coffee shops and things uh, to come up with different ideas but I was, as you were going through all those lists of different toasted things as well, I was thinking one of my favourites and one that we, we have at the bakery all the time is actually French toast. Um, and I know that's a slight derivation, but it's such a perfect breakfast. It has everything. And sourdough's particularly good at grabbing hold and sucking all of that, all of that egg in. And then, and then you, can really, you can really bake it off properly and get it nice and brown mm. on the outside. We're, we're, I think we're, we're being quite strict, actually, in this discussion on the, the, the definition of toast. Yes. We say, no, it's got to be, you know, the, the slice of bread in front of the flames, whereas actually, historically, people mm. were, something could be fried and still toasted, yes. you know, or warmed up and yeah. still toasted. It was it they it was much more kind of flexible as a as a concept as an idea. Well, yeah, I mean, I think from from a national toast day perspective, um, it, it's I think because it's so culturally accepted that a slice of bread going into a toaster becomes a piece of toast that that's what we're celebrating. But I do agree that you can you know you you can fry a piece of bread in a in a pan. I, I tend to I mean if I fried an egg. I usually fry an egg and a little bit of butter, and I'll take the egg out and I'll fry the toast that I'm going to, you know, put that egg on top of in the pan, and that will it will get crunchy and it'll it, it, but it's not toasted, 
in, in a way, but it's, it's crisped, isn't it? It's still quite toasty. Yes, and just delicious. Yeah. 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 And you mustn't forget, you know, uh, the other things take to toasting very well, you know, crumpets, tea cakes. Uh, I was brought up in Yorkshire and a tea cake was a very, very kind of fine thing that we all loved and ate a lot. Muffins of the obviously in what called English muffins. Uh, you know, they, these things all toast really well. Scones, even maybe. Yeah, it's a, it's a very it's a very flexible skill, isn't it? Toasting something. Well, I think we have to raise a toast. We do to our toast, uh, whether it's burnt to a crisp or it's golden brown. Um, you know, it could be a cinnamon raisin bread or a or a, a cheese and chili bread. Uh, you know, the fact that uh, national toast today is going to be something that's celebrated, and it is celebrated every year, the 25th of February. Um, I think if you want to have a look at uh, supporting this, just sort of, you know, take a picture of a piece of toast that you've had, put a hashtag on, on, next to your photograph, put it out on your social media, and that's how you observe National Toast Day. Um, uh, but it is um, a necessity toast, I think, because it's the way we get that kind of early energy into our day. It's a way that we can, you know, if it's 11 o'clock at night and you say, oh, God, I'm, you know, I'm still a bit peckish, I'll just put a piece of toast in the toaster. You know, there is this real kind of toaster, butter, a little bit of jam or honey and a loaf of bread. And, and there's some comfort in there, isn't there? It's just this sort of, it sort of makes you happy. Yes, I, what the science is behind the how it makes you happy, I would love to know, but it really, really does. It does seem to have a kind of, it's like tea, isn't it? There's some magic in it that just sort of, the rest of the world's worries just kind of waft away a little bit, don't they? If you have a couple of slices of toast in front of you and a cup of tea. I, I, I love the fact about how, how fast it is as well, because it is still, oh, it's one of the ultimate fast foods that actually whatever you've got left over in the cupboard or the fridge, you know, whatever half a jar of jam or honey or peanut butter, and all you need to do is toast, you know, and, and within a, a, a minute or two, you have something, you know, hot and quick and exactly as you want it and to your taste. It's flexibility is, is really incredible from sweet to savoury. Um, I think that's and- a really key point, actually, sort of historically as well, is that... Uh, one of the reasons people love tea so much and one of the reasons in the north we call you know that evening meal tea to go with the drink is because instant ways of turning a cold meal into a hot one are really valuable if you don't have very much money you know and um and so if you have a cup of tea and some anything on toast you know beans on toast eggs on toast uh, you know, uh, what's it called? Spaghetti or something, anything like that. It can be a really instant hot meal. Um, it's very versatile. And that's incredibly versatile for people. Well, I think that is also, you know, if, if you were to live in another country and someone says to you, oh, you're English, beans on toast, they say, fish and chips, beans on toast, you know, or, you know, cottage pie, you know, people kind of go, ah, you know, and but it's such a, a sort of an iconic. Yeah, uh, this is who we are. This is sort of who we are, isn't it? <laughs> so National Toast Day is always on the last Thursday of every Friday, last Thursday in February, every year. It's something that, you know, when someone says, I, I know what we need to have, we need to have a national day for toast. <laughs> I mean, these are people who really <laughs> love something, don't they? You know, the last Thursday in every February, it's got to be National Toast Day. 
I don't know. I what agree. can you say? <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think it's a good idea. I've learned so much today. I yeah. actually realised how important it really is that we have a national toast day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, well, a uh, toast to toast. Penn and Aidan, thank you so much for spending this time with us to celebrate toast. Uh, what could I be better than talking more, about it? What could be better? Well, now <laughs> I suddenly it's, it's past lunchtime, but I think I need another piece of toast before I move on with my day. Um, Aidan, uh, Lovingly Artisan, and Penn, the author of Scoff, thank you so much to you both for spending time and talking about toast. Um, this is Food FM, talking about toast. Um, join us again for other amazing topics, but today we're celebrating National Toast Day, the 25th of February. Thank you both. Thanks, Arthur. Thank you. Thank you. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.